0: Tonight, I need you to turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, We're uh, uh, coming towards the end of uh, this wonderful book. I trust that uh, you have been blessed by uh, our little journey through the book of Hebrews. Last Sunday night, we looked at uh, love. What's love have to do with it? And we looked at that uh, we are to be loving our brothers and sisters. And we were reminded last Sunday night that, well, yeah, it was Sunday night. Was it Sunday night? No, it wasn't Sunday night. The Perrys were here last Sunday night. Sunday before. See, some of y'all even forgot. So, But uh, the Sunday before that uh, we saw that Jesus said, they will know that you're uh, my disciples by the way you love one another. And so now we've come into the fourth verse of chapter 13. We're going to be looking at verses 4 through 6 this evening. And we're going to continue that theme of love. But now it gets into where we're seeing where love should manifest itself even more so. We're going to look at two things uh, tonight. We're going to look at marriage and we're going to look at material possessions. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and let you know uh, uh, when we deal with marriage, that's a very sensitive subject. I understand that uh, because uh, of what has to be talked about. And I'm going to do, uh, and I've asked the Lord to help me to be as, uh, as tactful and discreet. I understand we have children, we have young people, uh, and we're, we're going to handle this, but it needs to be handled because the Word of God uh, says that it needs to be handled, so we're going to handle it. But I understand the subject can matter uh, that it kind of, uh, some of you are already kind of, uh, you know, fucked up now. You know, you're like, well, what's he going to say about this? And uh, I understand that. But aren't you glad that the Word of God is very clear? We don't have to guess what he's talking about. And I understand in the day and age in which we live, political correctness seems to be uh, the, uh, the thriving force. We're all concerned about that. We understand that we're living in a society that uh, you can't, uh, you've got to be careful what you say, someone's going to get offended by it. Now, I'm going to go ahead and give a disclaimer. I'm not here to offend anyone. I'm not here to upset anyone. I'm just here to preach what God has laid out before us. And so, uh, if you have your Bibles, you're in Hebrews chapter number 13. We're looking at verses 4 through 6. And if you had to put a title on this subject, it would be, I Feel the Love. Now, we've said that term, we use that term uh, a lot of times. And sometimes we say it kiddingly. When we're in kind of a a hostile environment, we all say something to kind of, you know, kind of calm things down. says, oh, I can just feel the love. Well, we need to understand tonight, not only do we need to feel the love, but we need to see the love. Okay? And so here in verse number 4, listen to what the Bible says. It says, marriage is honorable and all and the bed undefiled but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge that verse right there just cut and dry isn't it the word of God says this is what should be taking place in marriage and then he says those that are going out of the will of God will be judged didn't elaborate on it. He just says, they're going to be judged. So tonight, I feel with all confidence that when we preach this message, uh, that I'm not worrying about being politically correct because God's already had the final word of it. God says, if you, if you do this outside of my parameters that I've said, I'm going to judge. I'm not going to be judging. You're not going to be judging. God's going to judge. And so in verse number 5, it says, And let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. In other words, he says here that uh, he goes from marriage, now he goes into material possessions. Now, he uses the word covetousness. And then he goes and he says, basically, you just need to be content with what you've got. We have a problem with that, don't we? We have a problem with it in the United States. We are now trillions of dollars in debt. And the reason why we're in debt, oh, it's staggering. I can't even wrap my mind around it trillions and trillions of dollars were in debt. And the number one cause, not all the cause, but the number one cause is we were not content with what we had. We wanted to have more and more and more. And the government is now saying, we'll go ahead and take care of that. And they'll keep on keep on and keep on and keep on. And now we find ourselves and trillions of dollars in debt because we did not understand that we need to be content to what God's given us. We're not content. We have a problem with covetousness. But notice here, he goes from marriage and jumps right into material possessions. I find that interesting. Uh, It's almost like he's just kind of like Oh, uh, just throwing it out there. Well, the Word of God is just not thrown out there. It, 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 every word and the way that it has been written is designed by God. God intended for it to come out like it is. So why would he talk about marriage? And then the next verse, he talks about material possessions. Some say, "Well, uh, covetousness uh, has a role to play in marriage as well." But it seems to me is here again the overlying thing is love. That when we're loving the way we're supposed to be loving, our marriages are going to be okay, and the way we handle our material possessions will be okay. Amen. But here we go, we got to get the sequence in order. In Matthew chapter six, verse number three the 33, the verse says that we need to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added into me." I understand I'm a very simple man, uh, but it's very simple. We can cure a lot of the problems that we're experiencing in our marriages and in the way we handle our material possessions and we handle our wealth. We can can solve that very simply by seeking first the kingdom of God. And when we're seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and we put that in its proper place, everything else falls into place then he goes on and says, and as you have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Now notice here, he's talking about marriage. He's talking about the handling of your material possessions. And then he goes on and he says, and we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. See, we need to understand that we can have a, a, a right relationship in our marriage is when we depend upon the Lord to be the helper to help our marriage. I have nothing against marriage counseling. I, 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 I do. Uh, well, I don't know if you call it counseling or not, but I've, I've done oh, what I thought was counseling uh, with marriage. And I have nothing against that. I have nothing against going and, uh, and seeking help if your uh, marriage is on the rocks and whatnot. I have no problem with that. I have no problem with you getting a financial advisor. have no problem with that. But it would seem to me according to the Word of God we could solve a lot of this if we just simply say the Lord is my helper and I have faith that He's going to take care of what I need and He's going to help my marriage to stay intact and He's going to help me to be able to handle my wealth and and my material possessions. But the problem with us is that we've gotten out of the will of God and we started to doing the things we thought we needed to do and then we find ourselves in the mess and then that's when we call upon God we should have been calling on God before we even got to the other we should have called on God this is not my notes but here the Lord just laid we should have called on God when we got married We should have called on God uh, before we got those jobs because God is the one who's given us the strength to go and make a living. God is the one if we do here's our problem. We are just so impatient and we don't want to wait in God. And I'm just somebody needs this tonight. Somebody is more worried about you don't have a man or you don't have a woman and you're doing everything in your strength. You're doing all. You're going online. I have nothing again. I'm not downplaying that. What I'm saying is wouldn't it be wise for us to just go ahead and wait on God and say, God, you know exactly the man that I need in my life. God, you know exactly the woman that I need in life. Wouldn't it be a better ideal for us and we would really be able to be more successful in our marriages and handling of our money if we just asked God, God, you show me what I need to do and I'm going to wait on you and until you you Show me I'm going to continue To look to you for my source Of strength and my help Amen. Somebody needs to hear that And we're going to talk a little bit more about it. And so he says that he will Never leave me nor uh, uh, Or forsake me And then he goes on he says And I will not fear What man shall do unto me. See, when we have the faith that God's in control of my life and I go by what He tells me to do it, I don't have fear of any man because my God will take care of my enemies. Aren't you glad to know tonight that God's in control of your situation? And so here we see, first of all, he talks about marriage. Now, in the verses that we just read, we see that uh, the home should be where the lo- love would manifest itself. Uh, we, we see that he says that marriage is honorable. God honors marriage. Marriage. Now, understand, we're living in a society where society has belittled marriage. Well, See, it's, it's okay now. And I'm not here again. I'm not here to, uh, to beat up on you. I'm just here to let you know what the Word of God is saying. And we, what we've done, what i about belittling in marriage is it's now acceptable. It's okay if you live with one another. Word of God doesn't say that. Here, even in the church today, we've kind of downplayed it. And and, and here, I'm just going to be just clear, as clear as the Word of God. God honors marriage. He views it as a sacred institution. Matter of fact, if you go to Genesis, God honored it when He said, and when he said that man should not be left alone. The, the first institute that He established was that of marriage. God honors marriages. But also Jesus honors marriage. We all know that the first miracle that the Lord performed was at a wedding. By the way, it was a wedding that He was invited to. I do not do a wedding, I do not officiate a wedding unless I always invite Jesus to that wedding. When I talk to the couple, I'll tell them, I'm going to invite Jesus to your wedding. Jesus loves coming to weddings. God honors. Jesus honors. But we also see the Word of God honors marriage. In Ephesians chapter 5, when he's talking about the church, he gives a picture of a marriage. He calls the church his bride. And we see that the Word of God honors it. Now, i was already said that God honors it, but society does not. Now, why is that? Because we have now uh, diminished what marriage is really all about. See, we are now living in a society where we think it's okay to have same-sex marriages. Now, I'm telling you, I'm not here to beat up on you. I'm just here to tell you the Word of God never intended and did not establish the first wedding uh, by saying it was okay for a man a man or a woman and woman to be married. He said... It's a man married to a woman. There is no discussion about it. There's no arguing about it. The Word of God is clear about that. And I'm going to stand up on the Word of God. And I want you to know that God intended for man and woman to be married, not same-sex marriages. It is a disgrace to our God. God does not honor a marriage like that. And we need to be clear about it. We need to be kind about it. We need to have the right attitude about it. We don't need to go and beat them up over it. But we don't need to back up when someone comes to us and says, well, I don't see anything wrong with it. And you'll say, well, you might not see anything wrong. I want you to know it's not what Mike says about this. This is not Mike's opinion on that. This is what God has said. God says, I've intended for a man to be married to a woman, period. No exceptions. The case is closed. God... give three reasons for marriage. First of all, we see it in Genesis chapter 1, verse number 28. He said, one of the reasons for marriage is to have children. To have children. We need to understand that children are a precious gift. They're a precious gift from God. Now also, I understand this is sensitive It could very well be that maybe you were born out of wedlock. You didn't have a choice in the matter there. And if a child is born out of wedlock, we need to know that child is just as precious as the one who was married to a man and a woman. Children are precious. They're a beautiful gift from our God. God is the giver of life. And that's one of the reasons why we need to be uh, champion the cause uh, for right to life. I just went, uh, Brother Chris and I were dropped by the uh, uh, Grace uh, Pregnancy Center that uh, we are involved in, partner with. And they've been at the Bible conference and they're doing a good work. I was quite enlightened by the, uh, the, the facility. I was quite impressed by uh, what they uh, offer their clients. They have Bible study. They have parenting classes and, and, and all that. And, and then she started t- telling us that 40% of their clients speak Arabic. I did not realize that there's such a large Egyptian population in the metro Nashville area. She has someone that volunteers that uh, that speaks Arabic. And she said that half of them are Coptic Christians and the other half are Muslim. Now, what does that have to say with any of this? What it has to say is that many of them are unwed. But that does not diminish the preciousness of that child that they're going to bring into this world. Also, while I was quite encouraged, not only do they uh, offer that, but they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ when they come into that facility. Children are precious. And, and that is one of the reasons why God instituted marriage. The second thing is for companionship. We see that in Genesis chapter 2, of verse number 18. Oh, it is for companionship. Now, the third reason now this is where it's going to get a little tricky. It's going to get a little, oh, you got to be uh, careful about. Uh, But we also understand that marriage, one of the reasons for marriage is to control our sexual desires. We live in a society where it's gotten totally out of control. We are a sex-driven society. We sell hamburgers because of sex. We can go on and on and on. When you go into Nashville, you will see one of the largest buildings there is uh, the Hustler. We see that there's clubs all up and down Broadway there, where uh, sex is uh, is very open and uh, no uh, nothing left to the imagination. We see that uh, porn, internet porn, is at an all-time high. It's an epidemic. We are a sex-crazed society. And God intended that sex stays within the marriage boundaries. It is a sin to have sex outside of a biblical marriage. Young people... Listen to me well, I know you're, you're at that age where your body starts doing some weird stuff and you start doing goofy stuff and uh, you, I, I understand that it, well, it's been a while since I was a teenager, but anyway, <laughs> I understand those temptations that are coming to you. I also know, and here again, I'm not trying to be graphic, I'm not trying to be uh, ugly about it, but I also know that I've had reports of what goes on in the hallways at the high school. Things that I could not believe I was hearing. Uh, We see it. Listen, we need to pray for our teenagers. They are being bombarded with that kind of stuff. Satan knows how to get to young people. And, 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 he, and that flesh rises up and, and, and they, everyone thinks it's okay and everybody's doing it. But I want you to know, not everybody's doing it. There are still some and, and we ought to embrace our, our young people here and we ought to uh, encourage them. And there are some who have made a commitment that they're going to stay pure until they're married. I'm telling you, not everybody's doing it. But the ones that are are the ones that are getting all the attention. And our young people are being bombarded each and every day. And I just want you to know, young people, we're here and we're praying for you. And we want you to know we're going to continue to encourage you. You stay true to the Word of God. It will not, it will not come back void. You stay in the Word of God. And Brother Addison, we need to continue praying for them. Those work for our young people to encourage them that God's Word says, you do not have sex until you get married, period. No other questions asked. But then we also see, as we're talking about, that uh, sex outside of a marriage is a sin. Now, understand he gives some qualifications, he calls them whoremongers. Another word that can be used there is for fornication. Fornication is for those who are unmarried. Adultery is for those who are married. Here again, I'm not trying to uh, throw uh, someone under the bus, but the ex-mayor of Nashville, we all know the story. She was caught in an adulterous affair. Both of them were married at the time, and of course, uh, it led to her dismissal. But you know what really led to her dismissal is not because uh, she had sinned against uh, God and against her husband. He uh, sinned against uh, God and his wife. That's not what right, really got her. Because 60% of those interviewed said they understood that she committed adultery, but that shouldn't have had anything to do with her governing Nashville. What got her in trouble was the misuse of public money. Now, I'm not saying that she shouldn't have got caught on the carpet for that. But what is disturbing to me is that we can jump up and down and say, well, you know, that's, that's the lost world. But what would have happened if she was not married and he was not married? Probably wouldn't have gotten any news at all, would it? Now, I'm not uh, trying to make light of adulterous affair, but it would have not even been brought up because society sees it. That's okay. It's not okay. By the way, if you're here tonight and you've been involved in an adulterous affair or you've been involved in fornication, we're here not to beat you up, but to let you know the blood of Jesus Christ can cover that sin and He can set you free from that sin that you've committed. But we also see that we'll jump up and down with uh, two men or two women and we should be outraged by that. We should be upset by that. But uh, we're here to understand it doesn't matter if you're heterosexual or if you're uh, homosexual. If you are practicing sex outside the primitives, God said it's still sin no matter how you cut it. And we should treat everyone the same. We shouldn't pick and choose which sins we think we're going to camp out on. Sin, sin. And all of it makes God sick to his stomach. Marriage is reserved for a man and a woman. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse number 5. Here, uh, if you know uh, anything about the seventh chapter of 1 Corinthians, he starts to talk about, oh, uh, uh, talking about uh, being single and being married and, and, and all of that. By the way, it's okay to not be married, I, I, you do understand that. I know there's a lot of pressure on uh, on uh, uh, young people and and, and and folks in general. Says, oh, uh, if someone's single, what's the first thing that we want to say? Why ain't you got a man? Hey, why ain't you got a woman? You dating anybody? And they look at you and says, well, no. And then what, I know how you think. What's wrong with them? Now there might be a whole lot of things right with them. <laughs> It's okay to be single. It's okay to to feel that God's will for you is to be single. God never intended for everyone to be married. That doesn't mean that you're superior or you're inferior to your spiritual walk. It, it's okay. It, it's a, it blows my mind how, uh, especially on the online, and here again, I'm not trying to get myself in, it blows my mind how many websites you can go on to find you a mate. Why is that? Because we feel like we're not complete unless we're married. Women especially, not picking on you ladies. Ladies. But women especially, I've heard many say, I just, I, you want I, why don't you want to get married? Well, I just feel like I'm incomplete. Why do you think that? If you're in Christ Jesus, you're complete. It's, it's okay if you're a widower. And, and here's the, my mom, my mom's a, uh, been a widower for 20 years. And her church, and, and they was trying to hook her up with a man and all that kind of stuff like that. And I said, what is wrong with them, mama? And she says, I told them, I don't need no man. I'm happy. I had one man, that was enough for me. (laughs) And I said, good thinking, mama. But she was okay with that. Why do we think that everybody has to be married? And here in that seventh chapter, he says, "Now, here, he understand." He says, "Being single." By the way, there are there are a lot more advantages. And here again, hear what I'm saying. There are a lot of advantages of being single as far as serving God. See, when you're married, you 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 now have a spouse that is part of your life, and you're no longer the lone ranger. One of the things that I had to learn when I first got married is I didn't call the shots anymore. (laughs) And all the men said, "Amen." Amen. Well, I understood that when I made a decision, it just didn't affect Mike, it affected Donna. Then we had children. And I understood my decisions now affects my wife and now affects my children. And I'm grateful for that. I I thank God that he uh, showed me to the woman that I needed to marry. I'm thankful that I I have children. I'm thankful that he's allowed me to have grandchildren. I'm thankful for all that. But I'm telling you, I also have my responsibilities to my family. But when you're single, you can really go after and serve God. Because you you just got you to worry about. So here's what I'm trying to say. If you're single tonight, it's okay. You just wait. And when if God wants you, I believe with all my heart, that if God wants you to be married, He's going to send somebody in your life. Yeah. Now, I'm not downplaying that you've gone looking on your own. I'm like, that. Yeah. But won't you just wait on God? God will give it to you what you need in His due time. We just got to trust God. And so here in uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, he says, do not deprive. Now, he's talking about marriage. He's talking about those that are married. He said, do not deprive except with consent. Now, he's talking about the relationship here. Uh, Now, there's a time when you feel like that you do not have to have have relations with your husband or your wife. He says, and that's okay for a time. But in that time, you need to fast and pray. Why would he tell you that? Because Satan will come and will tempt you because of your lack of self-control. See, Satan knows how your body operates. He knows that flesh and that lust of the flesh. He knows the sexual appetite. And so uh, the Bible here is talking about a couple for whatever reason if I'm already in trouble probably on this, but <laughs> don't ever use sex to get back at your spouse. The Bible says that when you got married, the two became one. That means, in in lack of a better way to phrase this, my wife is mine and I'm hers. Physically speaking. Don't use that as a tactic to get back at him. Because he didn't come home till late from his fishing trip, you're ticked off at him, and now he's on the couch for the next month. Don't do that. Because what you're doing is that you are setting him up for Satan to come and tempt him. I told you this is a delicate situation. But listen, the Word of God is the Word of God. This is serious business. Marriage has been under attack in such a way that we really don't know what a marriage should look like. But the Word of God shows us a beautiful picture. And so he goes on and we see it in Proverbs chapter 12 verse number 4. He says that the wife can be the crown of the husband, but she can also cause shame and rottenness to his bones. What's he talking about here? He's talking about the physical He's talking about the physical relationship. See, marriage has been intended, and always has been intended to be in the perimeters of a marriage. Sex should never be before marriage, and it should never be outside of marriage. It's awful quiet here tonight, and I understand that. I'm being sensitive with this subject, but we need to hear this subject because our marriages are under attack like they never have been. The family is being assaulted by Satan his demonic forces. And we need to be praying together, and we need to understand, and we need to see the seriousness of that. We understand that uh, teenage pregnancies is uh, up on the. Uh, uh, I mean, we see it every day. We now, uh, and and, uh, and and I'm, I'm uh, but when I was in school, when a, a girl got pregnant, she didn't want to be seen. Nobody wanted to go around her. Now, I'm not saying that was the right thing either. It was taboo. Now, it's almost like a badge of honor. And that's sin. And it's contrary to the Word of God. Sexual relations is a beautiful thing when it's kept in the proper parameters And the only parameters is marriage between a man and a woman. Second thing, very quickly, he now moves into covetousness. He's talking about wealth here. He's talking about money. He's talking about a a strong desire. Spurgeon said this, when he dealt with covetousness. He says, I have heard uh, many confessions of sins over my years of being in the pastorate. He says, I've heard many testimonies of sin and how sin uh, brought heartache to uh, to a person. But he says, I've never ever have anyone come and confess covetousness with me. Why is that? I believe here the Word of God is set up just like it's supposed to be. Because He put that right in the same vein as marriage. See, marriage, we'll we'll go and we'll say, that's right, that's right. It's only between a man and a woman. We'll jump up and down. We'll say, you're right, Brother Mike. Homosexuality, yes, that's right. Yeah, preach it, preach it, brother. Preach it, preach it, that's right. Those lesbians and all that. And we can go on and on and on. But here's the problem that many of us have, our covetousness of material things. Are we not guilty of that? It's amazing to me how much stuff we have. If you don't realize that, try to move. <laughs> we were driving to Portland the other day with our senior adults. I mean, we're just out there in the boonies. And we looked over and there were storage units out there. I thought, there's nobody out here. And that, that, that helped me to understand, why do they need storage units? Got, we got one on every corner just about, don't we? Storage units everywhere. Why? Because we got so much stuff. Why do we have it? Because we're covetous. We have a strong desire. We want stuff. Because something about that kind of makes us feel good, does it not? Many of you and I'm not just picking on the women. Men, you're just as bad. Go to Pro Bass Pro Bass Shop. (laughs) Don't tell me guys don't like shopping. Man, you're out there and you're thinking and here and and you're looking at that new rod and reel. You don't even look at the price tag on it. You just feel the way, it, oh, it feels good, uh, you know. And, and then, uh, you know, you, you, you're, even, you're in the aisle practicing casting and all this kind of stuff. And you still haven't looked. But you go shopping with your wife. Now, ladies, they ought to be on your side here after this little comment I'm fixing to make. But ladies go, and the first thing that your husband will say, how much is it? Yeah. But you don't say nothing about your rod and reel that you're fixing to buy. <laughs> oh, honey, this is just right for me. And you'll justify spending two or three hundred dollars on your other stuff that you get. You go fishing about twice a year. But you've got waiters. you got, I mean, you've got the whole thing. And then you've got a boat that sits out. Oh, and um, I know I've already in trouble with the guys with the bass boats. But you, you go out there, you use it twice a year, and, you know, it collects it. But you've got it all wrapped, and you put it in your garage. Your wife has to park her car out in the weather because your boat can't get wet. So you got it in the garage. Ladies, will you help me with this? Because I've already ticked all the guys off on this. We just like stuff. But we need to understand, we can go ahead and make light of that. We can have fun with this. But covetousness is sin. When you have such a strong desire over stuff and over wealth, it becomes your idol. And your idols are an abomination to God. Oh, I don't have no idol. Oh, yeah, you do. But yet we want to go ahead and skimp over this. We're already saying, go ahead and close this service out because you're going to say some more about my stuff. And you're starting to get to meddling and I don't like meddling and uh, I just need you to hush up. But we need to go ahead and understand what it is. It is sin when you put your stuff over your God. When you have such a strong desire, I'm not saying it's wrong to go and get a boat. I'm not saying it's wrong to get a fishing. I'm not saying it's wrong to go and buy a new dress. But when that desire overwhelms you and overtakes you, that becomes your idol. And when it becomes your idol, then you have now sinned against a holy God. Mr. Spurgeon, I've already made comment. But Solomon also said something about stuff. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 10 he says that the love of silver will not satisfy. See the problem with us is many I have even heard them say this. What do you like going shopping? It just makes me feel good. Shopping makes you feel good? then you are on if you haven't already crossed that line. You're looking for stuff to satisfy you and to bring contentment with you. And that's the reason why we have storage units galore. Because we thought that stuff was going to satisfy us and it hasn't satisfied us. And so what do we do? We keep on buying more stuff. It's an addiction. That's exactly the feeling of an alcoholic. One didn't satisfy me, so I'll go to two. Two didn't satisfy me, so I'll go to three. Three didn't satisfy me. Now I'll go to a six-pack. Six-pack, and then it goes. Do you see the trend? And Satan knows exactly where to get you. So, the covetousness, he makes mention of covenants. But in Psalm 62, 10, it says, when your riches increase, do not set your heart upon it. The problem with us, and I'm guilty as charged, the problem with us is that we live in such a blessed and prosperous nation that he has led to our demise. We've gotten too comfortable and we've gotten used to stuff so much that we don't even see that it's hindering us from serving God. Why are you having to work overtime now? I well, that bass payment <laughs> coming up. That bass boat, I got to pay the payments on it. Nothing wrong with that. But when it totally starts to consume your life to where you're missing out on serving God because you're having to pay for your stuff, then you have turned your stuff into an idol. And when you turn your stuff into an idol, you are saying to God, God, you're no longer first in my life. That's sin. It says that in Philippians 4, chapter 11... Paul, and this is a verse that you need to claim tonight. He says, whatever state I find myself in, he goes on and talks about that. I find myself going through heartache, or if I find myself on the mountaintop, if I find myself with money in my pocket, or I find myself with no money in my pocket, no matter what state I am, I have found contentment because my contentment is knowing Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior. Money has been said that it can buy you a passport that you can go anywhere except for heaven. Money can buy you anything except happiness and joy. Tonight, As we go through and we see where he talks earlier on about loving one another, and how can a lost and dying world know that we are his disciples by the way we love one another? And the lost world sees how much, uh, what kind of love we have for one another. But notice here, now it's progressed. How does a lost and dying world know that we're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? By looking at our marriages. Do we really honor marriage? And also, they'll look at how we handle our material possessions. And then when you go up to them and say, I want you to know Jesus Christ has changed my life. I'll never be the same again. Here again, they're not so interested in hearing what's coming out of your mouth. They're interested by how you live your life.